All right. Well, good morning. And uh, man, our hearts are already full. This place, this place is popping. This is crazy. Like, we did not expect this. You guys are packed in here, and I think the foyer has people out there. And this is exciting. This is. Well, this is already uh, exciting, and I would say we could go home, but your pastor would probably just get up and preach at you. So, uh, but uh, we are so happy to be here, and uh, we have never been to this part of the country, and uh, this is beautiful out here. And uh, I told my wife when we were driving up here, we've lived in Nebraska for 22 years. Uh, what's funny? I didn't tell the joke yet. You guys are already laughing. <laughs> yeah. Living in Nebraska. Okay, that is funny, I guess. But uh, we lived near Omaha, and I said, man, I had no idea there was pretty parts of Nebraska. This is crazy. We drove up through the sand hills, and uh, man, but uh, then we got here, and it even got even prettier. And uh, we, anyway, we are thrilled to be here, and thank you. You've already been so kind to us. And uh, I'll introduce a little bit of us and our family and, and whatnot. And uh, so I think we have. There's us. Uh, we have a picture of our family. My wife is here with us today. And if you haven't met us, uh, we really want to meet you. Stop by our table, grab a prayer card. And um, I don't have this working. So there we go. There we go. That's us. And uh, God's given us four boys. And next to me is our youngest. He's 17. He's going to be a senior next year. And uh, everybody, his name is Andrew. Everybody always asks, you know, what are we doing with our kids when we go to Portugal? And uh, Mama is hoping that Andrew will go with us. So uh, he'll graduate uh, by the time we go. Uh, we're hoping to be in Portugal by the end of 2024. And he'll graduate this year in May. And, uh, and so he, he's praying about maybe going with us right now. Next to him is Daniel. Uh, Daniel is 20 years old. We're pretty, we're pretty sure he'll be married by the time we go to Portugal, or at least that's what his girlfriend is hoping. So uh, uh, she's praying that way anyway. And then next to him is Shane. Shane has uh, just turned 19, and uh, he's a sophomore in college this year. And then LaCorey is our oldest. He's 23, and uh, he just got out of the Air Force last summer and moved, moved back home and uh, is finishing up college and different things. And if I could share a little bit of our testimony as a family, uh, about 14 years ago, uh, LaCorey and Daniel uh, were taken out of their homes in Omaha uh, uh, and put into foster care. And God put them in a tremendous home in our community. And almost immediately, uh, they started riding the bus to church. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful this morning to see such a strong uh, heart that you all have uh, for the bus ministry, uh, to pick kids up in vans, and, and uh, what a great thing. But they started riding the bus to church, and uh, they became very faithful. Uh, for five years they rode. They uh, never missed a Sunday. They started coming on their own Sunday nights, uh, Wednesday night to youth group, and uh, they would go to camp with us, and uh, they fell in love with our church, and our church fell in love with them. Uh, and about seven years ago, um, the state started doing some unique things in their life. Uh, They're trying to find them a permanent home, an adoption home. Uh, They're talking about moving them out of the state, away from their friends, away from their community, their church. Uh, they, were, they tried a couple situations that were not good fits at all. And so our church started praying for them and uh, started being concerned. And one day I was talking to a group of people and a little frustrated. I said, these are too good of boys to be messing with. I said, somebody in this church needs to step up and adopt those boys. <laughs> and be careful when you say that someone ought to do something. So God put it on our hearts. And uh, I'll tell you, when God tells you to adopt teenage boys, 
that is about as crazy as it sounds. Uh, there's no sugarcoating that. And uh, we already had a nine and 10 year old and we were barely surviving them. And, uh, but you know what? what? Seven years now, uh, we look back and we're so thankful that God put them in our lives and uh, we did it to help them, but they've changed us more than we can imagine. And we're very thankful for that. And so that's our family. Uh, I've been a youth pastor for 22 years. And uh, this is our youth group here. I love, love, love camp. And uh, so happy to hear you all are going to camp next week and, and uh, praying for you as you do that there. And, uh, but for 22 years, I've been able to be the youth pastor uh, right out of college uh, there in Plattsmouth, Nebraska. Uh, before I was a youth pastor, for a very short bit, I worked at a Coca-Cola plant. But I had to quit that because it was so depressing. Good job. Good job. You know, sometimes I don't tell that at churches because sometimes they just don't get it. And uh, I knew you guys, you guys were going to get it. So, uh, but anyway, did I mention I was a youth pastor for 22 years and uh, we could be a little different. So, uh, but anyway, uh, but God's been so good to us. There's a boy in that picture, Noah, and uh, he showed me a picture a few months ago of a Bible that I gave him when he was uh, just three days old in the hospital. And so we've been very blessed. God's been very good to us serving there. I became the missions pastor at our church about five years ago. And uh, that was God's hand kind of stirring in our hearts uh, to have a heart for missions. And so we kind of soon realized that that would be the next step in our life. Uh, so we started praying about where, uh, where God would send us. And uh, we would never consider uh, Portugal as an unreached people group. Uh, the statistics tell us that over three billion people in the world have never even heard the name Jesus. And uh, uh, Portugal has heard of him. Uh, they're 85% Catholic. Uh, but statistics would also tell us that less than uh, 1% would know him as their savior. Uh, they have 10, mil 10 and a half million people in Portugal and uh, less than 1% would know Christ as their savior. And so uh, we have a real heart for them. This verse here uh, is Portugal. Uh, it's, set, it's, it's them in 100%. In uh, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. That's Portugal. They're good people. Uh, they're sweet. Uh, they're very relational. Uh, their crime rate is less than 1%. So they're very just good-hearted people, but they're very blinded. Uh, there's a town there called Fatima, and the legend is 100-and-something years ago, Mary came down from heaven she showed herself to these three shepherd children, and through that, they built uh, shrines and cathedrals and temples, and every year, hundreds of thousands of Portuguese uh, will take a pilgrimage to Fatima, and uh, they, they walk from wherever they live in the country. They walk to Fatima. Once they get there, there's all these rituals, and they crawl up this hill and do all these things with the shoes off, and it's this whole thing that they do, and they don't do that because they're bad. They do that because they've been blinded, and they've been blinded by religion. And, uh, but I love how this verse goes on, and uh, that it doesn't leave us with that. But it goes on and says, uh, Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And that's, that's all our heart is. Honestly, that's all a missionary is, is someone that's taking the light of Jesus to a blinded nation and a blinded people. And uh, that's our heart, is to take that light to Portugal. Uh, we have three main ways we'd like to do that. First and foremost, uh, through evangelism, simply by telling people about Jesus. Secondly, uh, through church planning, our first church we'd like to plant. Uh, 
uh, is downtown uh, Lisbon. Lisbon is their capital. Uh, Lisbon has three and a half million people there. And so we'd like to uh, plant our first church there in Lisbon. And then thirdly, uh, to train national pastors to repeat that process. Uh, as we reach the Portuguese, to train the Portuguese to start churches and to reach people uh, to reach their country. And uh, with being a youth pastor for 22 years, obviously we have a heart for youth. And so uh, God really opened some doors when we went on our survey trip back a year ago, October. And uh, we met a, a, a Portuguese pastor named Daniel. And uh, through him, we saw a real vision for the opportunity of uh, helping Portuguese churches with youth groups. A lot of the Portuguese churches are smaller. Uh, they don't really have the resources to uh, do much with their youth. And so we'd be able to come in and help them uh, train volunteers and help them establish youth groups. Uh, as we're starting churches, we're also helping them with their youth program. So we're excited about that. Uh, this next slide here is David. And uh, he's the guy in the middle with the blue shirt. And uh, this picture is super uh, special to them. Uh, this was taken back in, in August. And it's their very first Sunday in their brand new auditorium. Uh, they outgrew their storefront property. And uh, they, they God provided an old warehouse. And so they converted that. And uh, they're super excited uh, to be in there. And we're excited uh, that as we get to Portugal, we'll, able to, we'll be able to partner with him. As we learn the language, as we learn the culture, we'll be able to learn ministry uh, through this sweet church here. And so uh, we're excited about that. At this time, I'll show our video. And uh, David's in that video as well. Uh, then we'll come back up and get into the Word of God this morning. My name is David Booth, and I've had the privilege of serving the Lord here in Portugal as a church planning missionary for the past 11 years. Portugal is a beautiful country, uh, a country with a rich history, uh, a country with a, a wonderful, friendly people. And yet it's also a very empty and a very needy country. Uh, Portugal, the vast majority of people are nominally Catholic, and so Portugal has a, a Catholic heritage but I would say the vast majority of people that we encounter, that live in our town, that uh, we interact with, are, are really Catholic in name only and really give very little thought to, to God, to the Bible, to their spiritual condition. Hello, my name is Philippe. When I was in high school, I met Pastor David. Uh, he was teaching religion class. I didn't go to class that often, uh, but ending up finding uh, the church that uh, he's a pastor, that he's leading. And uh, I've been a member since, well, for like five years. Um, I've been growing up in, in faith and in the gospel. Um, and this church has helped me a lot in uh, growing, growing up as a Christian. I love Portugal, I love my country, but I also have a deep burden uh, for it because there's a great need for the gospel in this country. Uh, a lot of people don't know at all what the gospel is. Uh, it's a religious country, uh, but that's, that's all it is. You know, Billy and Mary Ann have been serving at a church for 20 years, and that speaks a lot to their continuity and their perseverance and just their spirit to serve the Lord. 
And um, I, I see that what they have been doing over the past 20 years serving in their church, so much of what they've been doing fits right here with what they could be doing here in Portugal. So uh, I, I ask that you would uh, consider supporting, encouraging, praying for Billy and Marianne. Uh, Portugal needs good missionaries, and I, I believe that they'll be great missionaries here in Portugal, that God will use their lives uh, in a mighty way here. So thank you so much. Although we are a small country compared to Spain, uh, <laughs> there are millions of people that don't know anything about the gospel. And uh, we need missionaries like Billy and Marianne to come and help us to spread and share the gospel. Right. And as you can see behind me, there's different ways to communicate and to kind of follow our journey. And so we'd love for you to uh, grab one of our prayer cards and uh, follow that and uh, see what God's doing in our ministry and whatnot there. And uh, uh, turn to Philippians. Turn to Philippians, if you would. And uh, I love the book of Philippians. And uh, here, not too long ago, uh, about a year ago, I was able to do our last kind of series uh, with our youth group, and uh, we, we would always meet on Wednesday nights, and uh, we went kind of verse by verse through the book of Philippians, and at that time, we knew that our next step in life was uh, to be missionaries uh, to Portugal, and uh, that God was calling us there, and so I was looking at it through kind of a different uh, lens, and I never realized before how missional the book of Philippians really is, and uh, it's an extremely missional book. Uh, it's Paul, which is a missionary, right? And he is speaking uh, to this church, uh, the Church of Philippi. Uh, he's writing them a letter, and they were a, they were a supporting church of his. A uh, matter of fact, at one point, uh, we may get to this and see, but at one point in Paul's ministry, they were one of the only churches working with him, one of the only churches supporting him. Uh, so they were a very, very special uh, church to him. Uh, if you remember the story, him and Silas, uh, went to Philippi. Uh, they, they won this lady. Her name was Lydia. She got saved. And then they got thrown into jail. And then at midnight, they sang praises to God and the earthquake came. And through that, they were able to reach the Philippian jailer. He got saved and took him home to his house and his whole family got saved. And so they start this church. And uh, now many, many, many years later, uh, Paul is writing this book of Philippians. And he's cultivated this very sweet, precious relationship with them. And now he's writing this book. And so I just want to look at a few verses through, this, through the book of Philippians and just highlight a few things. I love, we'll start off at chapter 1 and verse 5. Chapter 1 and verse 5. And he says this, he says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And I love this verse. Uh, because it really puts things in perspective. And, uh, you know, as my wife and I, we've been traveling since August, and uh, there's a whole new life of us, of ours, to uh, be traveling and in a different church every Sunday, sometimes two different churches on a Sunday. And it's amazing to me, as we come into a church, and this is a great example of this, we have never met any of you before, right? Like, I don't know you from Adam. Uh, I've been emailing your pastor back and forth a little bit, but I don't know any of you. But isn't it amazing? Almost immediately, there's a connection. There's a bond. And the truth is because there is a connection. There is something that we all have in common, and that's the gospel. 
And the gospel unites us. The gospel drives us. And I would encourage you as a church to never lose sight of that. Uh, it can be very easy to get distracted and with different things and whatnot. Uh, but the truth is, the reason that we are a church and the center of our attention ought to always be the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the story of his resurrecting power in our life. And, uh, and that's what unites us. And I love that, the way Paul starts this, because about his beautiful relationship that he has with this church has been through the gospel. Uh, look at verse 9. Go on to verse 9. And he says this, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And so now Paul is addressing them. He's talking about as they grow as Christians, as their relationship with Christ grows, as they, their knowledge of the Word of God, as that grows, their knowledge of God and Christ. As all that grows, he wants their love to grow with it. Not just their knowledge of God or their knowledge of the Word of God, but their love of the Word of God. Their love for God ought to grow as well. It ought to abound as well. Uh, there's a lot of things in life that motivates us. Uh, one of our first trips on deputation, we went down to Colorado, and my son went with us, and he wanted to go golfing, so we went golfing. And uh, one thing, I'm not a golfer, uh, but I, I enjoy spending time with my son, and it's it's Colorado, so it's beautiful, and it's outside, and so we go golfing. So one thing I always do, I like to look for golf balls, right? And so it's kind of like a little treasure hunt, you know? And so he's golfing, and he hits this ball too far, and it goes into these high weeds. And so I go in there with this golf club. I'm looking for the golf balls, and I don't find the golf ball, but I do find something else. And uh, he is looking right back at me, and immediately my mind reminded me that we were in rattlesnake country, and uh, I did not have to take very long. I'm hightailing it out. My knees are as high as, you know, my chest, and I am gone. And there was a couple of Air Force guys there with us golfing, and they're laughing, and they say, you know, and I say, yeah, I, yeah, I do now. And so uh, I didn't leave the golf cart the rest of the day, right? And uh, you know why? Because of fear. Fear is a motivator. Uh, fear can motivate us. I've worked with the sports program of our school for 20 years, and competition, sports, that'll motivate us, right? And we have a lot of motivators in life. Uh, going back to fear, uh, I, take, I like to illustrate this with my parents, a uh, child-parent relationship. Uh, when I was a little boy, I know I'm standing here today and I look like I'm just this perfect angel, right? My wife would agree with that usually. And, uh, but you know what? I was not always an angel. And a uh, matter of fact, when I was a little boy, I struggled uh, probably more than others. For some reason, it came harder to me to obey and to uh, honor my parents and obey them. Uh, but I wanted to obey my parents because I knew that if I did not obey my parents, it was not going to be a good day for little Billy, okay? It was going to be a bad day in my house, mainly for me, okay? And I don't know what was going to happen, but usually it didn't feel good. We'll just say that, all right? And uh, I, I tried to obey them out of fear, honestly, because I knew if I didn't, I was going to get punished. Isn't it amazing that as I grew up, as, my, as I matured, as my love for my parents grew, that desire to honor them, to respect them, to obey them, changed from being fear-based to love-based. As an adult, I didn't have to obey them. 
I wanted to obey them. I didn't have to honor them or respect them. I didn't have to. Nothing was going to happen if I didn't. But I wanted to because of the love that grew in our, in our hearts. Uh, I like to tell this little story uh, to illustrate this. A few years ago, my wife and I, we were cleaning out our storage, uh, our, our kind of purging some stuff in our house. And we were going through the storage closet and kind of getting rid of stuff and whatnot. And we pulled everything out. And we had to run some errands. So we left the house, run some errands. And uh, we came back home. And when we came back home, our four teenage sons were in the living room. And they found this popcorn tin that was in the storage. And uh, it's a popcorn tin, you know, you get at Christmas time. And uh, there was no popcorn in it. Uh, but there instead, instead, there was all the love letters that I wrote to my wife <laughs> while we were dating in college. And uh, you are already a step ahead of me on this. Listen, there's not very many more embarrassing moments in life than coming home to find your four teenage sons reading the love letters that you wrote to your wife while you were dating in college. I mean, they have these things all laid out. I mean, they had tears coming down their faces. They were laughing so hard. One of them had like a top 10 list going of like his favorites. And, uh, you know, when I, now I'm home, so the real fun begins. And so they start reading these letters to me and to each other and mocking me and Oh, Marianne, your eyes sparkle and all that fun stuff, right? Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I did not have to write those love letters. She didn't have to read them. She definitely didn't need to keep them, okay? (laughs) But we did. We did. And why did we? Because we wanted to. Because I wanted her to know the love that I had, the feelings I had for her. She wanted to know. She couldn't wait to read those letters. And we wanted to do these things. And here is the greatest love letter we'll ever read. Right? This is God's story to us, God's love shown to us. And uh, I'm going to be honest. Uh, if you're like me, uh, I've been there where sometimes you just, it's, it's, it's a duty, right? And sometimes we feel like we get up in the morning, we have this checklist of things we have to do. And, okay, I better read my Bible check and I better pray. Uh, Sunday, I better go to church. We have all these things that we feel like we have to do. And the truth is, it ought to be more of a, I want to do these things because of the love relationship that we have with Jesus and with Christ. And uh, that's a great illustration there. Look at, uh, move over to chapter two. And I want to share a missional principle with you this morning. Uh, Being a missionary, uh, I'd like to talk about Uh, missionary concepts. And we see in chapter 2 and verse 17, a very powerful uh, principle here that Paul is teaching these folks. He says this, verse 17, he says, Yea, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. And so Paul is, first he's, he's explaining to them that he understands the situation they're in. I don't know what you know about first century Christianity, but it was extremely hard to be a Christian in this day. It was very hard. Uh, They were persecuting Christians. They were hunting them. It was very, very hard to be a Christian. Uh, They were torturing them. Paul's literally writing this from prison. So he knows firsthand of the the torment and the the hardships that they're facing. And he understands that for them to be a Christian that it's going to take sacrifice. 
any, uh, for them to be faithful to church, it's going to take sacrifice. And he's thanking them for their sacrifice. He's thanking them for it. He's thanking them for their sacrifice to him. Uh, it brought joy in his life that they were able to partner with him as a missionary. And that they sacrificed to help him because he knew that because of their sacrifices, he was able to do what God has called him to do. He was able to travel the world and take the gospel uh, to thousands around the world because of their sacrifice. And it brought him great joy. It brought him happiness. But look at verse 18. I love how Paul goes on to verse 18. He says this, For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So Paul is saying, Your sacrifice has brought me joy. But you know what? Your sacrifice also brings you joy. And you know what? That is different than the world we live in. Because we are brainwashed to think through commercials and advertising that for happiness and for true joy and happiness in our lives, we need to have more stuff. And if I could have more things, if I have a new phone or if I have a bigger TV or a new car, then that'll make me happy. And all these things will make me happy. And Paul is saying the exact opposite. He's saying by giving brings what will bring more joy in your life than by receiving. And uh, he's, he's explaining this thought. I love to uh, travel with this. This is a great illustration uh, of this concept. Uh, this is very special to us, to my wife and I. Uh, this is our very first love offering. And uh, this is our very first love offering. Fremont, Nebraska, a little town about an hour north of where we live. And uh, we were out of town, so we, we grabbed their, uh, the last night of their missions conference. And uh, we had the conference there, and uh, we presented, did the whole thing. It was all brand new to me, so I was a little overwhelmed. And uh, this, afterwards, this little girl, her name was Grace. She was 10 years old, and she came up, and she gave us this jar of money. And I'll tell you what, like, my very first reaction was to say, uh, no, like, no, you keep that. I am not worthy. Like, it was very weird. Uh, but I also know God did this. He did that for a reason. And I think one of the reasons he allowed that in my life, he wanted me to know as a missionary exactly what it was going to take for us to be missionaries. Missions is not this big business empire, right? It's not this big money deal. Business or missions is God's people sacrificing and giving. And I don't, we don't know, we have not counted this, so we don't know how much money. There's a 20 in there, there's some fives, quarters, singles. I do know there's a lot of sacrifice. I do know that she could have bought a lot of candy with this money. She could have bought a lot of girl things, whatever it is the girls play with these days, right? <laughs> And she could have bought a lot of things for herself, but instead she chose to give this to someone she's never met before for God's word to go forward. And that's what, that's what uh, the, the sacrifice and the joy uh, that that'll bring in your life. We don't have the screen down, but uh, typically I would have a picture. And if I had this picture, uh, I love showing it because you would see in, in this picture, there's a few things, but the biggest thing you would see is a smile on her face. And it's a huge smile. And it shows that she is not sad. Her parents weren't making her give this. She was happy. She was excited. She wanted to give this uh, to, to bring the joy in her life. Uh, let's move on. Let's look at, um, let's look, I like uh, chapter 4, verse 15. 
Uh, we'll just show that, go, uh, do that real quick, and then we'll almost be done here. Chapter 4, verse 15, he says this. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And you know, that's a powerful uh, verse, because here's the great missionary Paul, and he, at one point in his ministry, they were the only church helping him. And man, I shudder to think what would have happened if they stopped helping him. What would have happened if they said one day, you know, times are tough, things are hard. It's just, it doesn't make sense right now. It's, it's, we don't really have it to help Paul. So let's just skip a couple months. I'm sure other people are doing it. Other churches are probably helping him. So we're going to skip. And you know what? The principle I like here is to be careful to ever think that someone else will do something. And here's the deal. I'm a missionary this morning. Uh, we're a mission, my wife and I, we're missionaries going to Portugal. But we are not the only missionaries in this room. Uh, the truth is, every person in this room is a missionary. And I'm a missionary to Portugal, but you're a missionary. You're a missionary in your neighborhood. You're a missionary to your workplace. You're a missionary to your school. You're a missionary to your family. And the truth is, we could always say, well, you know what? That neighbor, someone else could tell them about Jesus. Someone else could invite them to church. But what if they don't? What if no one else? What if you're the only person that God has put in the, in the life of that person to tell them about Christ? And we all have a mission field and an, ob a, a, an opportunity to tell those around us about Christ. And then look, look at chapter 4, the very last verse. And I love this verse. I love the way Paul ends Philippians. He ends this book. He uses this phrase a few times through the New Testament. And he says this, chapter 4, verse 23, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And you know, there's a lot of things that Paul could have said to end this, to be done with his letter to them. But he knew they were hurting people. He knew that they were uh, being persecuted. Some of them were in prison. They were having a hard time. And the greatest thing that he could have said to encourage them was the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You know, oh, a couple years ago, I did a series on grace in our Sunday school class. And uh, I've studied grace before. I've heard preaching on grace. I've read books on grace. And I've never realized before, the thing that stuck out to me more than ever before about grace is that grace is not just our ticket to heaven. Okay, now it is. It is our ticket to heaven. So if you're here today and you've never received the gift of grace in your life, I would encourage you to do that. This church would greatly rejoice if you received that gift of grace in your life and you would receive eternity. You would know that at that point, if you died today, you would go to heaven through this gift of grace. But you know, if you're here today and you have received that gift in your life, that's not all you got was a ticket to heaven someday. We received eternal life at that point, yes, but we also received so much more. We received an abundant life here on earth. We received a life now that we can live uh, in direct, as we learned in Sunday school this morning, we can have direct communication with God, the creator of this universe, with Jesus. We could talk to them. They want to hear us and listen to us and hear what we have to say. We received the Holy Spirit. We have received his power. 
and his, uh, the, his ability to convict us, his ability to comfort us. And we received so much through this gift of grace. And so I encourage you this morning as we go through life, right, that we embrace that, that we live in the, that grace that Lord Jesus Christ has given us. And uh, in a moment, I'll pray. We'll turn this over to your pastor for the invitation. But, you know, whatever it is, I know we talked about multiple things of the love that we have for Jesus, our sacrifice that we have uh, for his work and then his provision and his grace in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this church and thank you for their heart to be here this morning on a holiday weekend. Here they are in church. Uh, to meet with you, to hear your word being preached. Uh, Lord, thank you for your kindness in our life to save us, to love us, to comfort us. And I pray that you'd be with everything we do. In your name we pray. Amen.